Hi, we're Shannon and Jerry Arner. And our dog, Betty White. Your hosts of the Arner Adventures podcast. Could we have named it something more creative? Probably. But it's the name of our blog. It's our last name. We're on an adventure. Yada, yada, yada. After running our own business, working 24-7. And don't forget a mental breakdown in between. We made a lifestyle change and decided to make the most out of life. We sold our house, most of our belongings, downsized, and moved to the coast. We live life minimally, but fully. We live each day as an adventure. This show will help you learn how to live life more fully, with more intention, by experiencing more, and with less stuff. We'll talk about our own experiences, interview others who have much to share by creating a spark in our lives. Some days we'll share real life ongoings of what we're going through and others will talk about our favorite flavor of waffle. Come join our adventure. It's, it's the, the Arner Adventures, Adventures Podcast. Podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Shannon. And I'm Jerry. Our pup, Betty White, says hello, and we are back for episode 52 of the Arner Adventures podcast. Today, we have a Spark in Our Lives episode who is just so motivating. He even has a blog called Motivational Check. But before we get into detail about our guest, let's get to our review of the week. Today's review comes from Marsa GPS. Marsa says... Absolutely one of the best podcasts in my rotation. Inspiring guests, hosts, and even the occasional chat with their dog, Betty White. Highly recommend. Wow, Marsa. That's so nice, Marsa GPS. <laughs> Marsa GPS. That's a good name, too. Uh -huh. right? We haven't had a, a GPS in here before. That's true. That's pretty cool. But sort of reviews always make us feel so, so good about what we're doing and keep us motivated. So thank you. Yep. So if you would like to give us a huge boost of inspiration like Marsa did, head over to lovethepodcast.com slash Arner Adventures and give us a review or rating. It means so much to us to hear that we're providing content that you all enjoy. Well, you know what I enjoyed? The conversation with today's guest. Ah, nice segue. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you, darling. Our guest is Terry Tucker. Terry's story is one of resilience, and we dig into his motivation and the mindset of what keeps him going through adversity. What a story. Well, are you ready to get to the conversation? Heck yeah, let's do it. Okay. Well, we have been counting down the days until we could chat with today's guest. We are so excited to welcome Terry Tucker to the podcast. Terry Tucker is a motivational speaker, author, and international podcast guest on the topics of motivation, mindset, and self-development. He has a business administration degree from the Citadel, where he played NCAA Division I college basketball, and a master's degree from Boston University. In his professional career, Terry has been a marketing executive, a hospital administrator, a SWAT team hostage negotiator, that is interesting, interesting. <laughs> a high school basketball coach, a business owner, a motivational speaker, and for the past 10 years, a cancer warrior. Terry has been featured in Authority, Thrive Global, and Human Capital Leadership Magazines. Did I mention how excited we are to have him here? <laughs> Welcome, Terry, to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here and taking your time to join us. Well, Shannon, Jerry, I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Oh, sure. Well, we like to get a, a picture of uh, you know where you are. So where are you coming to us from today? Denver, Colorado. Oh, uh -huh. okay. What's the yeah. weather like there? It's beautiful. It, 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 you know, the, the trees are, are turning and uh, it's a little cool in the morning, but it, it's still, we've still been in the seventies and the eighties. So you we can't know. complain. 
I bet it's a beautiful time of year to be there. Mm -hmm. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Neato. Well, gosh, you, you have such a, an impressive story, an inspirational story. We talked a little bit before we started recording about how everyone who is on, on our podcast, we, we talk about them being a spark in our lives because they are, and you are. And we were talking before that we don't know how we would overcome certain things. I guess you don't really know until you're there. And I just think that your story is so inspirational and I can't wait to dig into it and just kind of talk about your journey. The first thing I want to talk about is the many hats that you've worn in your life and especially the hostage negotiator i mean what <laughs> that in the one kind of stands out yeah. <laughs> yeah and of course your basketball career your coaching and all of that what was your first role and then how did your career path change sort of over time sure so when i graduated from the citadel i'm really going to date myself now but this was long before the internet was available to help uh-huh. people find jobs so I moved home to find a job after I graduated. I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. So, you know, I was all set to make my mark on the world with my newly newly obtained business administration degree. And I look back now and realize how little I knew about business just because I had a degree. But fortunately, I was able to find that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain in their yep. marketing department. So that was uh, that was my first shot at, at working after college. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Are, were you behind the where's the beef uh, thing? I was there when where's the beef was going on. Little Clara Peller, who, you know, yeah. it was funny. I mean, she was like an 80 year old retired beautician and oh. who decided to, you know, get her Screen Actors Guild card and stuff like that. And, you know, it, it was it was so much fun because that I mean, that <laughs> phrase, where's the beef? permeated politics. It permeated, I mean, everywhere you went, people were saying, where's the beef? So it, it was a lot of fun to be at Wendy's during that time. I bet. I remember my grandma having this, this. Uh, I don't know if it was a reusable grocery bag or just like a cloth bag that the side of it said, where's the beef? Yeah. And I just oh. thought that was the funniest thing. Uh, like, it's one of the biggest catchphrases of all time. I mean, oh, yeah. we're still talking about 30 what years later, 35 years. Yeah. Later. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the you know, the the marketing people, the the advertising people, I mean, they won Clio's, which are kind of like Academy yeah. Awards for advertising, you know, and they had them prominently displayed, you know, in the department, stuff like that. It's, it's pretty neat. That is neat. Did you feel intimidated being there when they had sort of come up with this huge marketing campaign or were you just kind of excited to be a part of it? It, At the time I had moved out of, I was in field marketing when I started as a trainee. I mean, trainee, literally I was making copies, gassing up company cars and, you know, running and getting lunch. That was the extent of, (laughs) you know, using my college degree to its fullest. And, uh, you know, so I, I had moved to new product marketing, which was a lot better. I put on a few pounds because I was always taste testing things sure. like that. And that sure. So, but yeah, it was, it was just fun to be in the organization because it was growing, it was developing, it was innovating. And, and just to be there, I, I learned quite a bit when I was there. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. That was one of my first favorite fast food chains when I was a kid, I think. Yeah. I was going to say Dave Thomas, who started Wendy's, was just a an interesting guy. I mean, he was an orphan. Uh, he, uh-huh. he named Wendy's after his daughter. His daughter's name was Melinda Lou, but nobody could say Melinda Lou. So they, her nickname was Wendy. And so uh-huh. that's how Wendy's got its name. 
Oh. I didn't know that. I knew it was after his daughter, but I didn't know about the Melinda Lou. Yeah. Huh. You learn something new every day. You do. Yeah. I didn't know <laughs> that's, that's cool. So out of, well, gosh, I want to know how you, let, let's, let's talk about the hostage negotiator. So how, <laughs> how did you get to that role? Yeah, that was kind of a, an interesting journey. Um, usually your next door neighbor is not a hostage negotiator. So, I, you know, it, it was kind of, it was something that I always wanted to do. My grandfather was a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954. So he was in Chicago during prohibition when alcohol was outlawed during the Great Depression in the late 1920s, uh, early 1930s. And when the gangs, Al Capone and, and those guys were shooting up the town, and he was actually shot in the line of duty with his own gun. It was not a serious injury. He was shot in the ankle, taking a homicide suspect back to the lockup. But my dad always remembered the stories. My dad was an infant at the time that my grandmother told of that knock on the door. Mrs. Tucker, grab your son, come with us. Your husband's been shot. So when I expressed an interest in going into law enforcement, my dad was absolutely not. You're going to go to college. You're going to major in business. You're going to get out, get a great job, get married, have 2.4 kids and live happily ever after. <laughs> of course. But that's what my dad wanted me to do. And when I graduated from the Citadel and, and moved home to find a job, my father was dying of cancer. So was my grandmother. And so I had a choice to make. I could either say, sorry, dad, you know what? I'm going to go blaze my own trail and go into law enforcement or out of love and respect for you, I will do what you want me to do. So my resume makes a little more sense if you understand sort of that backstory. So yeah. my first two jobs, healthcare administration and, and Wendy's were because that's what my dad wanted me to do. And I sort of joke, I did what every good son did. I waited till my father passed away and then I got into law enforcement. <laughs> but, but I was old. I mean, I was a 37 year old rookie police officer. I, I remember I took a whole lot more Tylenol in the police academy than the younger recruits <laughs> did and things like that. But that was that was the start of what I felt was my passion. And yeah. that yeah. led to, you know, for about five years, I ran a beat in a marked car in uniform. And then I know you're going to laugh at this because I'm six foot eight and I never changed my appearance. I was an undercover cop, drug cop. So I, I would buy drugs and stuff like that. And I also got on to the SWAT team as a negotiator, which was was an absolute blast. And if you want to want me to tell you some stories, I can do that as well. <laughs> no, tell us one. Tell us one of those stories. Well, I, I'll give you I, I'll give you two real kind of quick ones. Okay. One was this was totally atypical, totally not the way it went. This individual had barricaded himself in the house with his wife and a gun. So listen up to this, Jerry. All right. So the, the way this works. And, and so I, I was working that night. I got on scene pretty quickly and I'm talking to the uniform officers. I'm like, what's the deal? It's like he's drunk. He's taking his wife hostage and he has a gun. So do you have him on the phone? Yeah. So I took over talking to him on the phone. And usually in negotiations, you do not initially talk about coming out. You have to develop trust. It's just like a relationship, you know, husband, wife, parent, child, boss, subordinate. You have to develop that trust. But I just kind of had a feeling when I was talking to him. So I said to him, what would it take for you to come out? And there was this long pause. And he said, give me a beer. I was like, do I have your word? If I gave you a beer, you would let your wife go and you would come out. He said, do I have your word? I could drink it. I said, you have my word. So I gave $5 to one of the officers, sent them down to the store. They got a beer. The tactical team put it on the front porch. I called them back. I said, your, your beer's on the front porch, but you don't get it until your wife comes out. You put the gun down. You come out with your hands up. 
All of a sudden, the front door flies open. Here comes his wife. Here he comes with his hands up. We handcuff him, let him drink his beer, and off to jail he goes. So, you know. <laughs> when we downsized and moved to our coastal bungalow, we knew what we wanted as far as a beachy, coastal vibe aesthetic. If you're someone who follows our blog, you've seen me mention the book Surf Shack, Laid Back Living by the Water. I love it. I love the lifestyle, the whole surfer beach bungalow look. Even though we aren't surfers, we still want that sort of feel in our home. Laid back, casual, but also really cute. In comes Havenly. Havenly allows you to use the services of a professional designer virtually. After taking the Havenly design quiz, I was perfectly matched with my designer, Alyssa. Alyssa had experience with pet-friendly homes, small homes, coastal vibe aesthetic. She was able to extract my ideas that were living inside my brain and put them into her design magic skills to cultivate exactly what we envisioned. Check out the before and after on our website, arneradventures.com slash Havenly. That's H-A-V-E-N-L-Y. Alyssa just got it. She put together idea boards. I got to choose. We conversed back and forth. We even had a virtual call. It was just so easy. She was a real person, not some, you know, robot thing, the algorithm that they just matched us together. Alyssa's a person and she really did get it. Our space is wonderful. It's such an easy process. They have various packages that you can do for your living room or you can do your kitchen or bathroom or even a podcast room. They will match you with someone who can help you design that. If you would like to try Havenly, and I suggest that you do, go to their website, havenly.com, or you can use all the links down in the show notes, but use code ARNER25, that's A-R-N-E-R 25, and receive 25% off of your design package. What a deal. You're just going to love it. Now let's get back to the show. Okay. The, now the question here is what kind of beer was it? Because, but, oh, okay. That was inspirational. I don't think he would have cared. In all honesty, I think he was just, give me a beer. You know, I know I'm going to jail. So, yeah. uh, so that, that was, that was atypical. And, and this story is, is a little more tragic, but it, it's, it kind of, gives you an idea of some of the goofy stuff we had to deal with. This individual wanted to commit suicide and he started probably eight o'clock at night. He slid his wrists and that didn't work. And then he got the brilliant idea that turning his gas on in the oven and sticking his head in it would somehow kill him. Well, it didn't. And that didn't work. And then he calls a relative and the relative called the police and we get there. We're talking to him. He's got a gun now. He's going to shoot himself. And it's probably three or four o'clock in the morning. And he says to me, you know, I, I really want to come out. And I'm like, good, I, I think you should. I said, put the gun down, take the phone with you. I said, here's what's going to happen when you come out. When you do, I'll come down to the scene and we'll talk face to face. He's like, I really like that. Well, he, he hangs up the phone, which is not uncommon because we're conditioned that when it calls over, we normally hang up the phone. Sure. But then about 30 seconds later, one of the tactical officers comes on the radio and said, we heard a gunshot. And I thought, you did not shoot yourself. He did. Shot himself in the head. But he shot himself at such an angle where the bullet went underneath his skin right here at his temple, went around his skull and came out the other side. Never oh penetrated God. his skull, never got to his brain. So that's three times he tried to kill himself. And I think that was God's way of saying, nope, we don't want you up here right now. So yeah. um, he just oh. ended up going to the hospital. 
Are you telling me the skin contained the bullet so it went all the way around his yeah, head? Yeah, he shot himself at such an angle that it just oh, it just wow. went around and came out the other side of his temple. You couldn't do that if you tried no. to do that. No. no, you couldn't. You couldn't. Wow. Oh, my. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty. I mean, it was really bloody because any kind of head wound is really, sure. you know, it yeah. bleeds a lot. But in terms of severity, I mean, I, I don't. I think he was overnight in the hospital just for precautions and then ended up going to jail. He just stitched up his two wounds and oh my that God. was it. Wow. wow. Hopefully he got some mental health treatment and is still Hopefully. alive today. But yeah. Goodness. Yeah, that's, that is that one's amazing. Yeah, I can't even yeah. imagine that. That's one for truth is stranger than fiction. Right. <laughs> right. We've been yeah. he he's saying that and and as you're talking about the, this whole experience we can't help but think about. We've been watching the Dahmer series and we okay. just finished it. Yeah. And uh we we were just saying this morning that you could not write that. Yeah. You couldn't write that whole story. No, I mean, I don't no. care who you are, yeah. um, but I'm sure that you experienced so many things that you couldn't write. That's just, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, some of the things that you see, I think any first responder, you know, are not things that you want to see. They're certainly not things you should see. And I can yeah. certainly understand why a lot of people develop, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder and things like that. It, it's just, yeah. you see the worst of humanity. You see helplessness and hopelessness. And you know that, you know, it's kind of like putting your finger in the dike. Dike. You know, there's yeah. nothing I, I can stop this one, but the leak's going to come over here and over here, and you do yeah. the best you can, and yeah, and take it personally. So, how did you then trans? Because you were you were in the field that you wanted to be in. So then, how did you end up transitioning to be a co a basketball coach? Yeah. So my wife has always been the primary breadwinner in our family, and. Uh, she lost her job. Uh, when I was a police officer, I was in Cincinnati, Ohio, and she lost her job and ended up finding another job in Texas. So we had to move. And, you know, when she married me, I was a suit and tie eight to five Monday through Friday hospital administrator. So you can imagine, you know, we're married and like, uh, hey, hon, I'd like to do a major pivot in my life and work <laughs> nights and get shot at and do all this other kind of fun stuff. You OK with that? You know, and, and she was she was incredibly supportive of me. So when it came time for her to uh, need my support, I, I needed to move on. And I was I was not my job. I, I, I'll be honest with you. There were people that I worked with that had been cops for you know, 30, 40 years and couldn't retire because their whole identity was tied to what they did for a living. Yep. That, I loved what I did. I thought it was my passion but it wasn't who I was. And so oh, yeah. mm -hmm. it was a matter of, okay, I can, you know, I can do some other things. And I did. And, and that really, we have one child who's a daughter. She fortunately or unfortunately got my height. And so I was able to coach her in, in high school basketball, but you got to understand, I grew up with brothers. I went to an all male Catholic high school. The Citadel at the time I was there was all male. Yeah. So to coach girls was certainly a growing experience for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. I love that you said you, your job was not your identity. I feel like we talk about that a lot yeah, on we, here. Yeah, that really rang a, a bell with us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When, when someone asked, uh, you know, what do you do? I just, I get really annoyed by that question these days. I, I, because I do think all of us, we are all so much more than what we do. 
And I feel like that's just the question people ask and that's what they want to know. And then that's it. They just don't want to know anything else instead of saying, you know, well, tell me about your life. Tell me, you know, what you enjoy. So I, I think that yeah. the conversation needs to change all around instead of that. That's but. a very surface level thing. Yeah. We like yeah. to go a little deeper, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. and I always, I'm the same way with you. It's like, I don't really care what you do for a living. I always ask, you know, what do you do when you're not working? Yeah. yeah. You know, that, that, that's kind of, I think, a better question. And people sort of gravitate. Oh, you know, I like to sail or I like to write or, you know, whatever it is they end up doing. Yeah. And it's, it tells you more about the person right, mm -hmm. right off a lot more than usually. It's much more interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. A hostage negotiator is pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not many people do that as their hobby. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> true. <laughs> so out of, out of all of the roles that you have had as far as jobs, was there one that you just did not like or were you always pretty content with those roles? I mean, I was always restless when I was in business. You know, I, when I worked for Wendy's in, in the hospital, it was like, yes, I'm learning things. Yes, I'm around great people. Yes, I'm improving my life. And, and that was great when I became a cop because I had some life experience that I was able to bring to the job. But I, I was always restless with it. It was like, I, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be doing this over here. And, you know, I mean, obviously, it took quite a while after I graduated from college. I mean, almost you know, 17 years before I actually got to the point where I was sort of living my dream. Uh, being an author was certainly an interesting experience. I, I enjoyed being a, a high school basketball coach, but coaching girls was entirely foreign to me because I didn't, girls compete. I mean, girls are very competitive, but girls compete for the camaraderie and the relationships that they develop boys or, or guys don't. I mean, you know, if they like you, they like it, but we're on the same team together. Fine. You know, it's all for the good of the team, but it's just a different dynamic. And I, I'll give you a quick story. One day we were in the middle of a game and I pointed to one of the players on the bench and I'm like, you know, go in for so-and-so. And, you know, she nods her head and I go back to pretend that, you know, I'm trying to coach. And, and I look over at sort of out of the corner of my mouth, the scores or a corner of my eye at the scores table and there's nobody there. So I turn back to her and I'm like, get in the game. You know, she yeses me again. And, you know, I turn back around and I look again, there's nobody there. So I call her to me and I'm like, look, I need you in the game. All of a sudden the tears start coming down and I'm like, oh my God, we're in the middle of the game. I, I can't have a counseling session here. What's wrong? I don't want to go in the game. What? You, you work all week in practice. You make yourself and your teammates better. The reward is to play in the game. What do you mean you don't want to go in the game? I don't want to go in the game. Why? I might make a mistake and my friends in the in the stands will laugh at, at me. I'm like, well, what about your responsibility to the teammates that you work every day? I'm like, I can't believe I'm having a counseling session in the middle of a game. You know, I mean, I played basketball up until I was 21. The game was the reward for yeah. all the work and practice. But for yeah. this player, I mean, eventually she went into the game. and But it was just like, oh, my gosh, I. You know. like, there's, no, there's no crying in basketball. That's right. There's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in basketball either. Uh, <laughs> That's a good story. Oh I, I played softball all through, I don't know, since I was younger, all, all the way through high school and a little bit after high school into college. And I always, all but one of my coaches were male. And I can see exactly what the, the conversation you were having. I feel like they all had to have. 
yeah. Some of us were crying at different times. And I know they were just like, oh my God, how am I dealing with this? <laughs> oh yeah. There was, I mean, you'd be on the bus and they'd be talking about, you know, the latest whatever show they were watching and this guy, I'm like, come on, we got to focus. We're getting ready to play a game. Eh, we're not, we'll, we'll focus when we get there. You know, we, we can talk about what Brock is doing to Leslie here or something, you know. <laughs> oh gosh, that's so funny. That is funny. Okay. So you, you, you brought up the books, which I definitely want to talk about, but my question first, because I'm, I'm wondering, did you start writing prior to your cancer journey or was it after? Um, I, I've always enjoyed, you know, English was kind of one of my better subjects. I was not great at math and science. So English writing, uh, when I was a freshman in high school, I was at a Catholic school. I had to take Latin and, and Latin certainly helped me be a better, uh, better at English and better at oh, writing. Yeah. So I've always been interested in reading and writing. My roommate in college was a, was an English major. But I had started when I was a police officer, I used to write and I never gave them to her, but I would write letters to my daughter just in case something happened to me. And, you know, here's here's what it was like when I was growing up. Here are things I want you to know and stuff like that. And that ended up being like 400 pages. So I, I'm going to give that to her one day and say, here, whatever you want to do with this, you want to publish it, publish it. You want to just keep it for yourself. That's fine. I had written about my cancer journey, uh, but to actually publish a book to go down that route that was an entirely foreign thing that that i had no idea what i was doing okay because what the where i'm getting to is i didn't know i mean you sound like you you've you've always been uh maybe a positive guy but i i'm wondering and we'll get into that conversation now is about uh okay so you were diagnosed with a rare form of cancer and you've gone through tons of treatment. And I I would, if you don't mind talking about that a little bit. And and what I the reason I'm getting to this about the books is I'm wondering, did that journey and everything you went through with cancer and that you're you're still you're still on that journey, did that change your mindset? Or have you always been this really motivational guy and we're ready to write these books that we're gonna inspire people? Or, you know, or did that happen because of the cancer journey? I, I think my mindset got honed through my cancer journey. I, I think um, growing up in Chicago, I, I played basketball uh, in the same conference with a guy by the name of Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas went on to play at the University of Indiana for yeah. Bobby Knight, won a national championship, was drafted in the NBA, won a couple NBA championships with the Pistons. And so we would see each other in the summer when we would, you know, we would come home from school. And I mean, obviously he's playing in Indiana. I'm playing at the Citadel. I mean, they're two entirely different uh, worlds there. But yeah. we would talk about Knight because, you know, Bobby Knight was kind of the premier coach at the time. Yeah. And I said, you know, what's Knight like? And he, he said, you know, Knight's got this interesting quote. He said, mental is to physical as four is to one. So here's this great elite coach teaching, you know, premier athletes how to use their bodies to be basketball, you know, great basketball players on the court. But what he was really saying with that quote is that your mind or your mindset is four times more important than anything your physical body is going to do. So, yep. you know, it was pretty early on in my life that I learned the importance of having a positive mindset to, to yeah. get you to where you want to be. Now, you've got to have all kinds of other things with it. 
But, you know, that that's a start. And then I think you have to have good habits and you have to have the discipline to implement those habits. So if you've got motivation, discipline and good habits, I think you can pretty much be successful. The problem with most of us is we're kind of lacking in usually one of those areas. Right. Yeah. I'm a big Duke fan. And so I, I a big Coach K fan. And, and he is his leadership uh, whole model is also about that too. And I'm sure he got it. Well, he you know, got from Bobby it from, Knight. from Bobby Knight because he worked under Bobby Knight. Yeah. yeah. So well, I, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a quick story. When I was in high school, Coach K came to my house and recruited me to play for him at Army. Oh, and I was wow. the idiot that said no. So, uh, what? oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I got chills in my arms. Wow. What? Yeah, it was pretty. I mean, you knew the guy was special even yeah. back then, even when he was coaching. Really? You know, at this point. So, you know what I've realized? What's that, Jer? People think that when the temperatures cool down that you don't need to drink as much water. Dehydration can happen any time of year. Drinking water is important year-round. It's easy to stay hydrated with Liquid IV. Absolutely. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier. It's a powder in a packet, so you can take them with you wherever you go. It's an electrolyte mix that you just add to your water. It delivers two to two and a half more hydration than water alone. So many flavors to choose from, too. Grape, tropical punch... Guava, passion fruit, strawberry. Okay, okay. Liquid IV has a ton of flavors. <laughs> there is something for everyone. If you want your water to work harder for you, you should definitely try Liquid IV. And for our listeners, if you go to their website, liquid-iv.com, and use code ARNERADVENTURES, you can save 15% and get free shipping. We'll link it in the show notes, too. Liquid IV, fueling life's adventures. Yeah, it, it was... Wow. It was a, a kind of a funny story. I'll, I'll fast forward. Our daughter's like three years old and I was working nights as a police officer and Duke was playing Connecticut for the national championship. So I recorded the, the, the game and I was going to watch it later. And, and after Duke ends up losing to Connecticut after the game, Shizeski uh, and William Avery had this big embrace. And, you know, it's kind of on the one shining moment montage. And my daughter, you know, three years old. So the next night after dinner, you know, because she was watching the game with me. The next night after dinner, she's like, Dad, can we go watch The Hug? I'm like, The Hug? What are you, what are you talking about? She's <laughs> like, The Hug. I'm like, what? It, you know, with the basketball. Oh, okay. So we went and we watched the end of the game. And this went on for like two weeks. So I ended up writing Shuzeski and I'm like, hey, you probably don't remember me. You recruited me at West Point, blah, 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 blah. You know, but I want to tell you the story about my daughter. And like two weeks later, I get a handwritten note from him basically saying, you know, thanks for sharing that story with me. I get real close with my players. That was a tough loss and that kind of thing. That just gives you an idea of sort of the character that Shizeski had. He didn't have to write me back. You know, I'm sure he gets thousands of letters every week, but that's just the kind of person he is. Yeah, that's neat. I, I got a little personal story too. My dad uh, is a huge dookie, as big as this one. And uh, he used to work the Duke Classic every year. And that's where they had like a tennis tournament to uh, – he did it for 15 years, I think, and, you know, raised money. And uh, he used to be a line judge on the for the tennis games and that. So he really got to meet Mike every year. And he said what he impressed him is he had met Mike, you know, whatnot, came back a whole year later to do the work. And Mike said, hey, Jerry, how's it going? And he said, it's like, he remembers my name. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. But yeah, that's a similar, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. So, okay. So you, you. You have these books, these very successful books. So what, 
your inspiration to start writing was just that you enjoyed it and you were, you know, write these letters, but what, what made you go ahead and say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and, and write a book that is going to be published. I, I, a lot of people had been suggesting that I write a book and, and I was really kind of putting them off. I'm like, look, I'm not, not that kind of an author. I'm not that, that kind of a writer. And I, I think that's kind of, you, you know, I think what God does is, you know, he, he puts people, there's sort of that old joke, you know, when you talk to God, it's called prayer. When God talks to you, it's called schizophrenia. So God <laughs> has never talked to me. And, uh, but what I think God does is put people in your path that make that same suggestion. Sorry, that was a bad joke. Uh, no, that's a good joke. That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great one. Let me, let me chalk that, that down. You can use that. There, there you go. <laughs> But what, what God does is put people in your path that keep making the same suggestion. And if you're smart enough, yeah. you'll kind of perk up and be like, well, maybe I had to, you know, figure out that I should do this. I think it's God's way of saying, hey, dummy, I'm telling you what to do. Go ahead and do it. And, yeah. and so really the book for me was born out of two conversations that I had. One was with a former player that had moved to Colorado where my wife and I live with her fiance. And the four of us had had dinner one night. And I remember after dinner saying to her, you know, I'm really excited that you're living close and I can watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet for a while. And then she looked at me and she's like, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Finding the reason you were put on the face of this earth and then living that reason. And then the second conversation was with a young man in college who had reached out to me on social media and asked me what I thought were the most important things he should learn to not just be successful in his job or in business, but to be successful in life. And I didn't want to give him the, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. Not that those aren't important. They are incredibly important. But I wanted to see if I could go deeper with him. So I took some time and I used to walk around with a pad of paper and a pencil and I, I took notes. And eventually I had these kind of these 10 thoughts, these 10 ideas, these 10 principles. And so I sent them to him. And then I stepped back and I was like, you know, I got a life story that fits underneath this principle, or I know somebody whose life emulates that principle. So literally during the, the three month period after I had my leg amputated and before I started chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs, I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories and they're real stories about real people underneath each of the principles. And that's how the book came to be. So what about the four truths? How did they come to be? The four truths aren't in the book. It, uh, and, and this is kind of a funny story, too. There was I was on a podcast with a woman who her her it was her podcast was titled something about, you know, your truths or something like that. And she's like, well, you need to come to the podcast with your your top three truths. And I was like, well, I've never thought about that. So it, it forced me to sort of codify those and and write them down. And, and, and I had three and then I've added one since. So. Really, it was because I was on a podcast and this this young lady sort of made me figure out what my four truths or my three truths were. So will you tell huh. us about your four truths? Sure. So the four truths, I have them on a post-it note right here on my desk. I see them multiple times during the day, so they constantly get reinforced in my mind. And they're just one sentence each. The first one is control your mind or your mind is going to control you. The second one is embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger and more determined individual. The third one is the one I've most recently added, and it's more of a legacy truth, and it's this. What you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. 
And then the fourth one is as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And so mm-hmm. I kind of use those. I, I, I kind of sort of call them my the, the bedrock of my soul. They're just a good place to, to sort of start to build a quality life off of. Mm. Uh, I love all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are wonderful. I do too. I read them and then I thought, okay, I want him to say them because I feel like they're, you know, it's so powerful when you could say yeah, it and we, we hear it from hear you. It from the source. So yeah. um, when you were diagnosed with cancer, very first time, which to me, that one is the one that was on the bottom of your foot, right? How did mm. you, uh, t- t- how did you even, uh, recognize that? Were you having pain the first time or was it something you did in a skin check or how, how did that come to be? So at the time I was a high school basketball coach and I had a callus break open on the bottom of my left foot, right below my third toe. And initially I didn't think much of it because as a coach, you're on your feet a lot. But after a few weeks of it not healing, I made an appointment and went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor, a friend of mine. And he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a little cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did. And he showed it to me. It was just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. No dark spots, no blood, nothing that gave either one of us concern. But Mm -hmm. fortunately or unfortunately, he sent it off to pathology to have it looked at. And then two weeks later, I received a call from him. And as I mentioned, he was a friend of mine. And the more difficulty he was having telling me what was going on, the more frightened I was becoming until finally he just laid it out for me. He said, Tara, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I have never seen this form of cancer. You have an incredibly rare form of melanoma. You know, most of us think of melanoma as too much exposure to the sun and it messes up the melon, the pigment in our skin. But this is a rare form that appears on the bottom of the feet or the palms of the hands, but it's still melanoma. And there's an even rarer form of melanoma that appears in your mucous membrane. So in your nose or your mouth or something like that, but it's still melanoma. And I kind of joked with them, not right away, because I was pretty much blown away. You know, I never remember as a kid laying out in the sun with my feet up in the air, you know, trying to tan the bottom of my feet. (laughs) So yeah, but it it, it has nothing to do with too much exposure to the sun. It's just one of those kind of rare forms that only idiots like me yet. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So you, you, then you undergo treatment and, and then it, it, you found out, or, or at what point did you find out it was in your lymph nodes? Uh, pretty much right away. They, they okay. do what's called a, a, a sentinel lymph node biopsy where wherever the tumor is, they inject this radioactive kind of colored dye and it travels up to your groin yeah. and it lights up when it's taken up by whatever lymph nodes drain that area. And for people who don't understand what lymph nodes do, they're kind of like the sewer system of your body. They get rid of fluid and everything else that you've got in your body. And so these three lymph nodes lit up. And so when they took the tumor out of the bottom of my foot, they also took those three lymph nodes out and sent them to pathology. And one of them had a microscopic amount of cancer in it. So they recommended during the second surgery where I had a skin graft on the bottom of my foot, they recommended that they take out all the lymph nodes. And, and that was, that was pretty much a major surgery. I mean, my scar yeah. is pretty long. I had 40 staples in my groin, which mm. that, 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 uh, that was a little tender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then at what point did they suggest that, I guess the cancer came back and then you had your, you ended up having your leg amputated below the knee, right? Or right above the knee? Above the knee. Okay. Yeah. So for, 
after that, so 2012, melanoma was pretty much a death sentence. They didn't really have anything that they could do to help you. So what they did is they put me on interferon, which mm -hmm. I took a weekly injection of the drug interferon. And the side effects for me of interferon were that I had severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. And that wasn't a cure. That was, as my doctor used to say, we're trying to kick the can down the road and buy you more time. Five years into the interferon, I ended up in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees because of the toxicity of the drug. That's usually not compatible with being alive. Fortunately, I was at a level one trauma center and they were able to stabilize me and send me to the ICU. I mean, I mean part of what they did is pack me in ice uh, and that. So I had to stop taking the interferon. And almost immediately after stopping it, the cancer came back in the exact same spot in my foot where it had presented five years earlier. That was 2017. 2018, I had my left foot amputated. Cancer worked its way at my leg. 2019, two more surgeries. And then in 2020, an undiagnosed tumor kind of at the end of what was left of my leg grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, uh, my shin bone, and my only recourse right in the middle of the COVID pandemic was to have my left leg amputated above the knee. And I also found out I had the tumors in my lungs, which I'm being treated for now. So on that uplifting story. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, does the, does the uh, cancer in your lungs relate to all, to this other cancer? Yeah, it's melanoma. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, wow. Yeah, okay. totally. It, it's just, my, my doctor's always said, you know, when you found that, that tumor on the bottom of your foot, wherever the melanoma was in your body, it was already there. I, I mean, we just haven't been able to see it. And everybody thinks, you know, with all the imaging that we have available to us that, you know, we can see everything. The problem is even the, the most sensitive equipment, your tumor has to be the size of a garden pea in order for them to see it. And that's about a billion cells, billion mm. cancer cells in that little tumor. So mm. if it's wow. something smaller than that, a lot of times they can't see it. So it has to grow to a point where they can see it on imaging. How often do you have treatments now? Every three weeks. And is interferon still something that they use? No, no. Okay. It, it, it was just at the time, it was the protocol. I was at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, which is probably one of the, if not the best cancer hospital, maybe in the world, probably in the United States. And that was their protocol. That was what they wanted, wanted to put me on. And, and I remember one of my interferon is also used for hepatitis or some kind of liver issues. Okay. And one of my players, grandmother was on it uh, because she had hep C and I, and I was talking to her about it before I went on it. And she's like, Oh yeah. She said, you know, I was on it for six months. Yeah. It's not real good, but you know, you can handle it for six months. And so I went back to my oncologist. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll do interferon. You know, what, what are we figuring about six months? And she was like, no, I'd like you to do it for five years. And I remember looking at her like, wait a minute, you want me to have the flu every week for five years? I'm like, you're nuts. That, that's just yeah. not something that's humanly possible. And she was like, do the best you can. <laughs> okay. Wow. Oh, yeah, it, gosh. Was, it was terrible. I mean, I was so sick of being yeah. sick that I, I literally, there were times I just prayed to die. It's like, I, you know, I mean, I, we all had the flu, but I mean, yeah. imagine you knew you were going to have it next week and the week after and the week, you know. Yeah. And then there's like, where, where's the light at the end of the tunnel? So. Yeah.
This episode is brought to you by Southern Oak Artisan. We love Southern Oak Artisan. Their candles bring a really cool vibe to our bungalow. They do. Southern Oak Artisan makes 100% natural soy candles that are not only aesthetically pleasing, and we love that they're in these you know, really cute little jars, reusable by the way, but their clean scents are light and not overwhelming like other candles. My favorite is the morning brew. Any time of day that smells good. Mm, mine is the lime but no salt. Or maybe the Sommelier Chardonnay. Do you think there's a theme going with me there? Oh, maybe. <laughs> they have really great scents to choose from. They are only made with the highest quality ingredients, so they aren't toxic like a lot of candles are. 100% natural soy, clean, fragrance oils. You just feel good with the air in your home being clean while burning these candles. Mm, yes. Well, for our listeners, we have a discount code. It is ADVENTURE, and it will save you 10% off of your order at southernoakartisan.com or their Etsy shop. We're going to link it for you in the show notes, too. Southern Oak Artisan, curating something a little bit extra. It's the Southern way. So my question now is this mindset, this, this mindset that you you've had and you definitely have now, uh, you know, when, when you got off of that, were you just like, okay, like I can, I can, you know, literally breathe and I'm going to be able to now just focus on, you know, being well, did it, did it sort of shift back because you were able to kind of get rid of that sickness? It did. You know, I mean, when you've done something for five years continuously, even being sick, it was sort of it was sort of a habit. You know, yeah. I, I was sort of used to it. My body was sort of used to it. And when I went off it, it was like, wow. So this is this is what healthy feels like. This is, you know, and, and that was kind of it took me some time to adjust to it. It, it, it didn't stay that way for very long, uh, you know, because yeah. it, you know, I eventually got to that point, you know, where I, I, I had. I had the 108 degree fever, had to come off it. And like I said, almost immediately the cancer came back in the exact same spot on my foot. And so it was just like, well, that was five years of hell that really, I guess it bought me time uh, yeah. because now I'm on a, a clinical trial drug now that does nothing to the cancer. It's not chemo. It's not where it goes in and kills the tumor. What it does is the way cancer proliferates in the body is that it secretes an enzyme, a protein that hides itself from your immune system. And what mm -hmm. this drug does is goes in and wipes out that, that protein, that enzyme, so that your immune system can say, oh, wait a minute, that doesn't belong here. Let's go attack it. So it's your own body that's actually defending it as opposed to chemo, where mm -hmm. it's really not your body. It's just sort of the shotgun approach of, well, we're going to kill all fast growing cells which will be cancer, but it'll also be your hair and your intestines and all that kind of stuff, which is yeah. why you lose your hair and have all the, the other problems you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you feel physically? Lousy most of the time um, because I'm on, I'm on this drug. I get it. I go to the hospital every day for a week. I get this drug. I have a very, and, and my doctor attributes to being on the interferon that that my body kind of knows what to do. It kind of revs wow. up and it's like, oh, okay, let's use this drug, let's go. And so I shake very violently. I imagine like being cold and shivering, multiply that times 10, but I'm not cold. And then I throw up, I have a headache. So I do that every day. And then I get two weeks off to basically regroup. And I've been doing that for two years now. Oh, um, it has, I, I am what my doctor calls stable. I started this treatment, this clinical trial with two other people. 
they unfortunately passed away last year from the, their disease. So I'm sort of the last man standing. And, uh, you know, it's always fun for me. I, I enjoy MD Anderson sends me a letter every year from their tumor registry. And, and they're like, circle one of these three. You're alive without cancer. You're alive with cancer or you're dead. And, I, I, you know, just to tick them off, I keep hanging around. So, you know, it's like, yeah, I got cancer, but I'm still here. You know, I send it back to them. So. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, I know our audience can't can't see you, but they can hear you. And I think even in your your voice, you you I mean, I, I'm not saying this out of ignorance. I'm just kind of saying it to make a point. You seem like such a strong person. Um, strong-willed, strong, I mean, you probably are strong-willed and strong mindset, yeah. but physically you sound and look like a strong person. You would never know, right? I mean, my- Exactly. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too, your demeanor and, and you're and obviously you have a great sense of humor about all this and you, yeah. you just seem to light up and smile and laugh a lot when you're talking about things that are kind of tough to talk about. Yeah. yeah. How do you stay physically um, strong? I mean, do you exercise or do you have the strength for that? I, I, I don't so much anymore. I'm kind of confined to a wheelchair. I, I, did, I do have a prosthetic leg, um, having an amputation above the knee, trying to walk again. I mean, you know, I'm six foot eight, so falling yeah. is not an option. You know, you get hurt when that happens. Uh, yeah. I was able to walk my daughter down the aisle last October for her wedding, uh, which was you know, that was my goal. That's what I wanted to do. But I'm usually so tired and and beat up that, you know, doing things like this, being on podcasts with you and stuff, it gives me a purpose. And having a purpose gives me motivation and energy. And I, I remember when my dad, I, I mentioned my dad was sick and dying of cancer when I graduated from college. He had end stage breast cancer back in the 1980s, which for wow. a man, they didn't really know what to do with that kind of cancer. And so they pretty much told him to go home and die. And he, he lived another three and a half years. And I believe he did because he had a purpose. He was in real estate and, and he went yeah. to work up to two weeks before he died. And I wow. sort of remembered that and sort of tucked it in the back of my mind. Like, you know, when it's my turn in the barrel here, I, you know, I need to be, I, I need to not be the person who's laying around in bed and thinking about how sorry you know, my life is, and don't get me wrong. I mean, you're looking at me right now. There's no S on my chest. I don't wear a cape and fly around with magical powers. I have bad days. I have days when I cry. I have days when I get down. I have days I feel sorry for myself. But when I do, and, and I'm going to tell you a story about rats now. So so just hang with me. There really is a good story. So, so I remember back reading this article back in the 1950s, there was a professor at Johns Hopkins University who did an experiment with rats. And he took rats and he put them in a tank of water that was over their head. And he wanted to see how long the average rat could tread water before they drowned. And the average rat treaded water for about 15 minutes. And just as the rats were getting ready to drown, he reached in, grabbed them, pulled them out, dried them off, and let them rest for a while. And then he put the exact same rats in that exact same tank of water. And the second time around, those rats treaded water on average for 60 hours. Now think about that. 15 minutes. I'm just not going to fail. I'm going to die. And yes. the second time around, 60 hours, which said to me two things. Number one, the importance of hope in our lives. We have mm -hmm. to believe that maybe not this week, maybe not this month, maybe not even this year, but at some point in time, our life will get better. And the mm -hmm. second thing is, just how much more our physical bodies can handle 
than we ever thought they could. I mean, I think everybody has a breaking point, but mm-hmm. I think that breaking point is so much further down the road than we ever thought that it really was. And yeah. when I was in college, there was a one of the presidents when I was at the Citadel was a man by the name of James Stockdale. I don't know if that name rings a bell. It sounds familiar to me. It does sound familiar to me too. James Stockdale was Ross Perot's running mate for president when Ross Perot Mm -hmm. ran for the presidency. Okay. Uh And Stockdale was a Medal of Honor winner. He was shot down over Vietnam and was in the Hanoi Hilton for like eight years and, and won the Medal of Honor. And I remember somebody asked him, you know, who made it out of that prisoner of war camp? Who made it out of all that torture and pain? And he said, you know, it wasn't the big, tall, strong, tough guys. He said they ended up breaking because, I mean, eventually you're going to get so much physical pain you can't handle it. He said it wasn't even the optimist. It wasn't even the person that was like, hey, we're going to be rescued by Christmas, you know, and stuff. Well, Christmas would come and they weren't rescued. And then that person would get down and depressed and they would die. He said the person that survived that was the person that realized that they could control or they they could control what they could control. And for he said for us, it was basically our thoughts and our breathing. That was the only two things we had any control over. And if you understood that and you controlled those things, you would survive that. You know, it wasn't the big macho guys. It wasn't the, you know, oh, well, you know, I'm going to be able to handle this, you know, going back to mindset. Yeah. The understanding that you could control what you could control. Mm. I've read something like that too, and it was regard to Nazi prison camp, where this one fella was uh, uh, more of a sensitive type of person, but did a lot better than some of the what looked like the more uh, able-bodied people. And the explanation was is because somebody like that, people like that's more sensitive. Maybe maybe they're introverted. They develop more of an a lot more inner worlds. They they have uh, just develop things over their lives to survive inner worlds and they're uh that make them stronger than some of the more robust types Mm. if that makes sense it does totally have 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 either of you seen the movie life is beautiful about um about somebody who was a nazi um prison camp i have not seen it no it's it's very good, yeah. and, but um, Roberto Benigni's in it. But uh-huh. it kind of reminds me of that. That uh, and I'll just tell you the synopsis is that he's in he his son and his wife are all captured, and uh, but he and his son stay alive throughout the film uh, because he convinces his son and he changes his mindset. This is this is a game. It's all a big game, and we just have to get to the next step. We have to get to the next step and control the things that are in going on right then. Uh, so it reminds me that what you said reminded me of it. And then what you just said mm-hmm. reminded me of that. And it really is, um, you know, minds, mind never matter. Mindset is such mm-hmm. a, a strong thing. We've talked about this before here, just with things that we've gone through physically or mentally, it's when you change the thought process and, and even just gratitude practice and look at the things that you have that are positive right now, it can get you through another day, usually. Yeah. I mean, we all become what we think, you know, and if you think I can't do something, eventually your brain will wire itself to be like, yeah, we can't do that. Yeah. And and so you've got to be really careful, you know, with what's going through your mind. And I don't think people realize that it's not till they get to it. Well, why can't I do that? Well, because you've been telling yourself you can't do it for three years. Of course, you're not going to be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. 
So if you were telling someone, uh, you know, and, and I know that you, you do coaching and all of that, but if you're telling someone, okay, about their mindset and that's a big question, but is there sort of a, uh, I don't know, like a, a mantra or something that you, you tell people, look, this is the way that you should approach things. Or if you could have one lesson, I guess I should say, if you were telling someone how to change that in their mindset. I yeah, big, I, I think, you know, thing. and I do get that question, not a lot, but, you know, from some people, how do you go from being a, a person who's a glass half empty to being a person who's a glass half full? Yeah. And, right. and, and what I always tell people is, first of all, it's not going to happen overnight. You're just not going to wake up and you're going to be like, hey, I'm Mr. Positive all the time. I think the Cleveland Clinic did a study and said on any given day, we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts that pass through our mind, many of which we don't even pay attention to. Yeah. But what I learned early in that whole, you know, the, the four truths of controlling your mind, when I was in high school, I had three knee surgeries. And I remember when I went back playing after those knee surgeries, my brain was putting all kinds of negative thoughts into my mind. Things like, you know, oh, you're probably a step slower. Coaches aren't going to be interested in recruiting you. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, I'm still playing at an elite level and coaches are still reaching out about the possibility of coming to play for their school. I realized I had to change that narrative. So that's what I tell people. It's like, first of all, we're human beings. I don't care how positive you are. I don't care, you know, how David Goggins you are. David yeah. Goggins every now and then has a negative thought. I, you know, I'll guarantee he'd tell you that. I know, 100%. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's okay to have negative thoughts. It's okay to do that. But you have to recognize they're, they're there, and then you have to switch it. You have to change it to something that's more positive, more beneficial for you. And if you do that over time, eventually your brain will start to change where it will start to expect or start to see the good things, the positive things, the beneficial things that are happening in your life and not so much of the negative things. So, so that's what I tell people. Don't get too excited when you have those negative thoughts. They happen to all of us, but realize that it's there, change it to something positive, And over time, you will become a much more positive individual. Is that, um, well, I guess that leads me to my, my last question for you. Can you tell us about the Sustainable Excellence Membership? And is that some of the things that are into play when in that membership? It, it is. And, you know, again, going back to kind of writing the book, people would read the book or they'd hear me on a podcast or see me speak in person. They're like, well, we want to we want to kind of go deeper, you know, with the sustainable excellence, each of the, the principles. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm in treatment and I, I don't know if I can do that. But again, enough people, you know, kind of God saying, hey, dummy, I'm telling you to do something else again. Pay attention here. And, and so I, I started really kind of last summer in June um this membership program and it's it's uh it's videos on-demand videos that you can get it's uh, weekly group group coaching calls with me and other people and it's and and this is the thing that i found interesting and it's a community where you can sort of get together with like-minded leaders and professionals and sort of bounce things around hey i'm thinking about doing this what do you how did you do that or the and it, not, not that the other stuff isn't good, it, it, it is, but I think where people get the most benefit is where they get together with like-minded people and they start bouncing stuff off of each other about how they were successful, or what they did, or where they failed so these people can't do it. So the, the membership is really kind of uh, really follows along with the book yeah. that I wrote. And it's, it's something that it, it's just it's fun for me now to to kind of. 
and I worked with somebody to help me put it together, but just to, to listen to people, to kind of listen in on some of those conversations and see what people are getting out of it. Yeah, it's like yeah. a think tank for yeah. uh, you know, positive mindset and and yeah, learning from other people and Absolutely. yeah. And just seems the more people you have, the more it would just build the positive elevate and elevate. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly uh, that's neat. Well, let's get to your fast five questions. Oh, okay. and the number one is definitely tailored yeah. for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this is just a way to get to know you better. It's just fun, you know. Okay, so number one, stay hard. Or take souls. Ooh. <laughs> take souls. <laughs> okay. Taking souls. Taking souls. Yeah, I have Sunrise. a t-shirt that says taking oh, souls. So I know. Yes, I have to say that. Yes. <laughs> I'm surprised you don't have one of the t-shirts. I know. I know. <laughs> and uh going on to number two, sunrise or sunset. Sunrise. Mm -hmm. Uh you know, I knew the day, the day is all it's it's all there before yep. you. What are you going to do with it? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Number three, would you rather go for a walk out in nature or like moving in nature, or would you rather relax in a hammock? Well, I'd probably fall over if I tried to go for a walk, but um <laughs> uh, well, um, I was actually thinking when I wrote that, I was thinking that. You know, I've seen you on Instagram and you're clearly standing. And so I thought, well, oh, well, he he either has a prosthetic and he still gets around. And so I wasn't sure about it. But that's a good. No, know. it's all like I said, I, I, I love to joke about this stuff. And, yeah. and yeah. so uh, I would I would still probably go for a walk in nature, you know, yeah. just try to commune with it. And now I wouldn't pass up the hammock either, but I would probably <laughs> go for a walk with nature. <laughs> right. And number four, coaching or playing. Boy, I miss playing. I'd have to say playing. Yeah. 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 Okay. Number five, this is super serious. Ketchup or mustard? <laughs> so the healthy side of me wants to say mustard because it's got, you know, uh, turmeric in it, which uh -huh. uh, decreases inflammation in the body. Yeah. So I would say that. But I, my taste buds would probably lean more towards ketchup. So right, right, okay. <laughs> and that something about that question always uh, gathers as much thought as all any other. It others. does. <laughs> it does. It's ridiculous, isn't it? It's like really, you know. Any time, <laughs> and we we ask it a lot, and not yeah. everybody, but a lot. But when we do ask it, it is the most thought <laughs> thought about <laughs> thought question. I know it's crazy. Oh my uh, god! Like which I, you one? Gotta, I gotta have a minute. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get back to you on that one, right? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. And the, the question we ask everyone is, what does a life well lived mean to you, Terry? Can I tell you a story? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Always been a big fan of Westerns growing up. When I was young, my mom and dad used to let me stay up late and watch, you know, Bonanza, Gunsmoke. My favorite was Wild Wild West. Oh, Jerry's shaking his head like, yeah. Right oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 1993, the movie Tombstone came out. You I love Tombstone. Tombstone. Yeah. Star Val Kilmer is a man by the name of John Doc Holliday. Kurt mm -hmm. Russell is a man by the name of Wyatt Earp. Now, yeah. Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp were two living, breathing human beings who walked on the face of the earth. They're not just made up characters for the yeah. movie. Now, Doc was called Doc because he was a dentist by trade, but pretty much Doc Holliday was a gunslinger and a card shark. 
And Wyatt Earp, most of his adult life, had been some form of a lawman. And somehow these two men from entirely opposite backgrounds come together and form this very close friendship. And at the end of the movie, Doc Holliday is dying of tuberculosis at a sanitarium in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which is about three hours from where I live. The real Doc Holliday dying at that sanitarium. He's buried in the Glenwood Springs Cemetery. Oh. Wyatt at this point in his life is destitute. He has no money. He has no job. He has no prospects for a job. So every day he comes to play cards with Doc and the two men pass the time that way. And in this almost last scene in the movie, they're talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says, you know, when I was younger, I was in love with my cousin, but she joined a convent over the affair, but she's all that I ever wanted. And then he looks at Wyatt and he says, what about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt kind of nonchalantly says, I just want to lead a normal life. And Doc looks at him and says, there's no normal. There's just life. And get on with living yours. You know, Shannon and Jerry, we we probably all know people that are, you know, sitting back and saying, well, when this happens, I'll have a normal life. When this occurs, I'll have a successful life. When this arises, I'll have a significant life. What I'd like to leave your listeners with is this. Don't wait. Don't wait for life to come to you. Get out there. Find the reason you were put on the face of this earth. Use your unique gifts and talents and live that reason. Because if you do, at the end of your life, I'm going to promise you two things. Number one, you're going to be a whole lot happier. And number two, you're going to have a whole lot more peace in your heart. Mm. Oh, oh gosh. That was wonderful. Well, Terry, I think you are. I think you're doing that. I think, like, yeah, mm-hmm. your books, everything that you do with the membership, being on here, telling your story. I feel like when you said earlier about telling the uh, former player, you know, about finding, you know, what it is that, uh, you know, about living the life that, that you know, kind of what you just said. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was thinking, living your purpose. Living your purpose. Yeah. I was thinking, well, Terry's doing that, um, which is, is great that you're able to, uh, to, to talk the talk, but also walk, walk the walk. Walk the walk. I like it. <laughs> well, Terry, or wheel please, the walk, whichever you wheel the, yeah, wheel, wheel, the wheel the walk. Yeah. Please tell our audience where, of course, they can find you, where they can find your books, where they can get connected with the membership, the whole works. Yeah. Sustainable Excellence is, is pretty much available anywhere. You can get a book online, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, Apple iBooks, wherever you get your book online, you can get Sustainable Excellence. Um, I have a blog uh, called Motivational Check. Every day I put up a thought for the day. And with that thought comes a little bit of a question about how maybe you could apply that thought into your life. On Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message, which a lot of times is a video or a story that I find online that I think has merit with people. Um, and you can leave me a message there. You can get access to the book there. You can get my social media uh, links there. You can also get recommendations I have for other books to read, videos to watch. So motivationalcheck.com will get you to me. And that will also have the membership? It does. It, the membership is on there as well. Okay. Okay. Oh, I I cannot thank you enough. I, I think this this definitely, I think, changed me. And, and again, it's just another another uh, nudge towards positive mindset that I think we both need. But um, well, I, my, my thought was I'm going to carry a lot of this with me yeah. through the next days, week, weeks, you know. Yeah. Just, yeah. And then with the help of the blog and all that, too, yeah. we can kind of sustain And all of your of resources. Yeah. We're going to link all right. of those down in the show notes. But, Terry, we cannot thank you again enough for being here. Well, thank you for having me on. You know, I always say it's 
it's nice people like you that allow me to come on and have a conversation with them. And hopefully that conversation makes a positive difference in somebody's life. And if it does, today's been a good day. Yeah. yeah. Well, wishing you the, the, the best of the rest of your day. Thank you very much. The same to both of you. Wow. That talk with Terry was one of the more motivational, inspiring ones we've ever had. It really was. You know, we yeah. read his story. We knew it was going to be a motivational one. Of course, you know, motivational check, how appropriate. But, you know, we recorded this on a Saturday, Saturday morning, I believe. Yep. And it was like you say, Jer, a lot of the times that it was like he was sitting here in our home and we were having him over for coffee and it was just so lovely. I mean, what a great way to, first of all, start your day. What a great way to, uh, you know, just kick off a great mood for a weekend. But, you know, if you're listening to this now, it's probably a weekday. And hopefully it really inspired you and got you going on your day. Well, and I think it would. His story is just amazing. And uh, it did set a good, a great tone for our, our Saturday, our, our weekend. And not only is it a motivating story, it's really interesting because the guy has such a diverse background mm -hmm. in his in his career or careers, I should say. Yeah, but, yeah. And then the things he's overcome have just been amazing. Yeah. And with all that, he's just such a good humored person. Mm -hmm. And uh and like many others we've met, you realize what he did to overcome or or keep overcoming all this adversity is just to have such a great positive mindset and good sense of humor. You know, it always comes back to mindset. Always. Yeah, it does. Yeah. You I know? know that that seems to be and I don't know if we intended it from the beginning, but a no. under, underlying theme. It really, we really did not intend that, but it no. really has turned into just all about this great positive mindset through challenges. So yeah, it really has. Well, if this episode resonated with you, or if you know of someone who would benefit from a story like Terry's, we would love it if you would share it, send the link, screenshot it, or just tell someone about this inspirational conversation you heard on the Arner Adventures podcast. <laughs> we would appreciate, and we know that Terry would as well. As always, you can find us at ArnerAdventures.com, on Instagram at ArnerAdventures, also linked in the show notes. So until next time, enjoy the journey that you're on. We're wishing you lots of adventures. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>